Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course, and I hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week we have for you, and what an interesting set of circumstances our country finds itself in related to the debt ceiling crisis. So that's on the agenda for sure, but it's not the only thing on the agenda. For this week, we're going to look at a Wall Street Journal article uh, that made me sad. A housing bust comes for thousands of small-time investors. Talking about what happens when we give money to someone we think will handle it well, and they don't. Wall Street Journal article on the aforementioned debt ceiling crisis, how a debt ceiling crisis could play out on Wall Street. Whew. Eric Wallerstein, I know you've been, even if you've been hiding, you've probably caught news of that. And then I, we're finishing just with a data point that made me fall out of my chair. Sometimes I come across information that I just look at and I think, wow, never would have dreamed that. We're going to compare emerging market equity returns with the Great Depression era United States equity returns and we're going to see what was worse. It'll surprise you. It surprised me. So at the top, Wall Street Journal, Will Parker, Conrad puts here, and Shane Schiffett. This was a bit of an expose. So if you ever wanted to dig deeper into an article, this will be in the show notes. Uh, this was a doozy. So subheadline, these investors, they were offered the benefits of owning apartment building rentals without any of the work and real estate investments that have already left some people empty-handed. So what happened? This is a Dallas story. Our own Dallas, Texas, for those of you in Dallas. I know some of you listen from all over the world, but for the Dallas sites. There was a uh, gentleman named Jay Gajavelli. And before Gajavelli got into real estate, the 61-year-old immigrant from India was an IT worker. The article explains he was putting in 60-hour weeks in Dallas. And then last year, lo and behold, he owned more than $500 million worth of Sunbelt apartment buildings with more than 7,000 units, and he was one of Houston's biggest landlords. So he just skyrocketed in the last three or four years getting all these together. And over the past four years, Gajavelli built his real estate empire using funds from dozens of small investors who wanted a chance to earn a landlord's riches without any of the work. He pitched double your money returns in ebullient can-do talks at investor conferences and on YouTube videos. So this gentleman was a great salesman. He would offer, and you heard it here, he said double your money. Now whenever we hear that, what should we be doing? Alarm bell should be going off. Hmm. Someone thinks they can double my money in a short period of time. Riches gained hastily will dwindle, but he who gathers little by little will prosper. So that... That don't line up. And he said this. Here's his quote when raising. Even if the economy goes down, still I make money. I never worry about the economy now, Gajavelli told investors in a webinar presentation last year for his company. So when people have this sort of arrogance, this sort of confidence, this sort of I'm bulletproof, aren't I special, or about them, beware. I like the way Warren Buffett talks with a great deal of humility. And he knows exactly that rising tide lifts all boats. So what did this guy do? So he took investor money. He then borrowed against it and he bought apartment buildings, many of them in Houston. His company took out floating rate debt. 
but adjusted each month. So in 2021, the rates were as low as 3.5%. As those rates increased, his properties were what is called underwater, meaning they were valued less than the debt. And so he walked. Now, why? What, 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 what do you think happened to him? What do you think happened to his investors? Okay, so if he raised a ton of money, and a lot of these investors were zeroed out. The article goes in, and this it gets very personal here, sadly. It says, a Mr. Uh, Munzer Hawk, a former IT professional in Plano, Texas, just north of Dallas, said he was Appleway's largest individual investor in the company's four foreclosed properties, and in two others he described as in trouble. Hawk said he and his wife, both in their 60s, lost millions of dollars, the majority of their life savings. Their two adult children also invested in Apple's way and lost money, he said. Here's the quote. When you trust the wrong person, that's the highest risk, Hawk said, because you give them everything. Mm. We can relate, can't we? We're no better than this gentleman, but we need to learn from Munzer Hawk. He found someone who told him what he wanted to hear, and he invested almost everything he had and lost it in his old age. How can we avoid such an outcome ourselves? We're certainly no better than this gentleman. What can we do? Well, we can have some alarm bells go off. One, there's just concentration risk. You're putting this all in one person. And then the, 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 the great man theory, this desire to just, oh, if I can just do whatever someone tells me to do. I'll just do it. That really doesn't work. It really doesn't work. It feels good at the time because there, we have a lot of anxiety around money and stress and fear. and if All that can go away if I just trust this one person. Well, the results are terrible. So we've got to do our own mind work, as the great Charlotte Mason said. We cannot abdicate or outsource that. And so we can have a trust but verify posture, but we can't go in and just give someone total control of our money and hope that it works out. It doesn't. So all these deals, all this money, here it is. And it keeps going. I mean, there, there's effectively a frenzy here where people looked at multifamily, saw it as, oh, wow, can't miss. Oh, wow, these guys are bragging about their excellent returns. And uh, back to the question, though. This gentleman who's getting his properties foreclosed on, Jay Gajavelli, he's going to end up doing just fine. So a lot of these syndicators, they don't invest a lot of their own money and they collect acquisition fees. That can be 2 to 5% of the apartment building's purchase price. They'll also take management fees, 2 to 3% of the building's gross income. So this this guy is going to be just fine. Jay Gajavelli, he's still going to be making more than he was at his job. And... We as investors need to always ask ourselves what side of the table are we on. We need to get on the best side of the table as we can. So I don't like these deals. No surprise. Even if you tell me they work, even if you tell me that, I don't know. I don't know what the analogy would be. John the Baptist himself is running the deal. I'm not uh, interested. There are better ways to own assets. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, you'd own it yourself. Now, that's not a world that many of us live in. We don't want the headache, or nor do we have the be a, a capital to buy an apartment building. But if you're really into apartments, you can buy shares of a real estate investment trust. Or you can, you can do all sorts of other things, but you, 
you don't have to go down this route um, of just abdicating outsourcing. It doesn't end well. And I'm reminded of a uh, Morgan Housel podcast this week. I hope to remember to put it in the show notes where he talks about the secret sauce to investing and it, it, he must be listening to my podcast. That's where he probably got this. But he talks about the secret to great investing is actually not optimizing for rate of return. It is not. We get so fascinated with what did we earn? 8%, 10%, 12%. That's preponderance of the pitch in any sort of fund literature or private investment literature. But do you know what the secret sauce is according to household? Permanence. Can you stick with something for 50 years? Most people's best investment is their home. Not because homes have great rate of returns, but it's because they're willing to stick with their house for at least 20, 30 years. They give compounding a chance. So when you go with these quick quick money guys, this, this uh, Jay Gejavelli, hey, I'm going to double your money in three years. That's, that's really not... You, it's a tough mindset, but you can just tell folks like that, oh, thanks so much for offering. I wish you the best of luck. I'm actually not optimizing for rate of return. That'll, that'll make someone fall out of their chair. Tell someone in your investment, you don't optimize for rate of return. What? What? Oh, no, I'm actually optimizing for permanence. Meaning I, I need to find a strategy that I can stick with for, for 50 years. Can you do that for 50 years? Oh, well, no. Our, we actually sell our fund and I get my carry and on down the road. Oh, yeah, not a fit. Not a fit for me, right? You get, as an investor, you've got to advocate for yourself. Where can I put money? That I don't care, even if it's a 5%, 6%, 7 return. If I can stick with it, if I can stick with it, that's going to be my best, that's going to be my best investment. So that would be another reason to bounce out of these things. Now, speaking of sticking with stuff, here we go. Wall Street Journal, how a debt ceiling crisis could play out on Wall Street. A treasury bond default would roll the multi-trillion dollar markets that underpin the global financial system by Eric Wallerstein. The U.S. government is edging dangerously close to being unable to make critical payments as Congress engages in debt ceiling brinkmanship. So the U.S., here we go, has never defaulted on treasury bonds. The article explains such an event would have the potential to royal... I mean, these multi-trillion dollar markets that underpin... Underpin, doesn't that sound important? So there are some real fears. We're not just going to deny them. I think it would be a little too flippant to say, eh, whatever. Um, If you actually look down this rabbit hole and figure out what happens if the government does stop paying on this, I do think it's an absolute mess. Uh, There are, and I didn't consider this, but this article explains, there are a tremendous number of government employees who will not get paid. There's a lot of people. I didn't didn't even consider this, but uh, in this article there was a, I think it was the Bank of America CEO who said he was that the bank was preparing to try to float along government employees who weren't getting their paychecks. I thought, wow, they really are looking ahead here. Um, so it it would be a mess. Um, expectations are that the stock market could drop up to twenty percent from many players. I don't know where you get that number, but there it is. Um, and I think what is most scary is are the unknown unknowns. Because you've never done it. Whenever I hear people make these predictions about what will come to pass, I am suspicious. I don't know which way the ball will bounce. A lot of investing, a lot of finance, is a trust game. 
And one of the great pillars of trust in our financial system, and as a result, the globe's financial system, is the conviction that the U.S. federal government will not default. And if it does default, that it's simply by choice, which is true. Now, class Y will not default. It's because they control the currency. So if I borrow money, but I'm also in charge of the government printing press, I'm never at risk of defaulting in the traditional sense, as Alan Greenspan articulated to Congress many decades ago. You basically can't default if, unless you want to default. Because you can always simply gin up money with a keystroke and pay off your debt. This is going to be tough to digest, but should the U.S. government want to, it could eliminate the entirety of its national debt with one button. I know that sounds odd, but they can. They control the currency. The, the debt is issued in the United States dollars. They can simply give United States dollars that they create to all these bondholders. They won't. It would be incredibly inflationary. You'd have a lot of supply for dollars. Um, but so, so I don't want you to fear this kind of ability. It's not a question of ability. It's a question of dysfunction in the government that's requiring this potential default. Um, so well, here's what not to do. I wouldn't pull money from uh, banks or money market funds. I wouldn't pull money from CDs. I wouldn't pull money from uh, your treasury accounts. I, w- I, I really wouldn't do anything. I think this is big enough that there's nowhere to hide. Now, the crypto bros might say otherwise. They might say, no, hold on just a second. Crypto was born for such a moment like this, or the gold bullion in my safe was born for a moment like this. I think there's a very, very, very small percentage that either of those strategies over the next 10, 20 years will be helpful for an investor. And back to what our friend Morgan Housel said, we got to stick with things. We got to go with stuff we can stick with. So I'll tell you, it, the pit looks scarier when you look down on the actual implications of our government not servicing its debt because so much of the system depends on that servicing. I mean, it's, it's everything. So, um, but what I'd tell you is don't be an ostrich about it. You don't stick your head in the sand, but don't be a chicken little either. Don't change what you're doing. I would not move money around. I wouldn't uh, have fears that somehow... Uh, your your capital is at a, at risk. That's always a possibility, but I, I just don't see it. Could be that you there's a delay in in the payment, so you, you may get paid days late. But what's probable? Let's, let's operate in probabilities. Is that a deal is cut? That is what is probable because the the unknowns are could be so devastating. And then in closing, the data point that made me fall out of my chair, figuratively speaking. Uh, on Twitter, a gentleman named Mark Meredith gave this data point. From January of 2008 to April of 2023, VWO, which is the Vanguard Emerging Markets Exchange Trade Fund, has lost 1.37% annualized after inflation. Ugh. From 1929 to 1943, U.S. equities beat inflation by point. 5% annually is his conclusion. So if you've been investing in emerging markets since 2008, you've experienced returns much worse than the Great Depression. Wow. Now, I just, 
floored by that. And I've not gone back and, and uh, fact-checked him. I've looked at this guy's work before and it's been true. I have no reason to believe this wouldn't be. You're welcome to fact-check him. But a couple things came to mind. One is investing's hard. This is a hard game. Can you imagine rotating into emerging markets when they were at their peak, which was that 08 period? I mean, he's taking it from his peak. How devastating that was. And the, the idea that somehow it would be top to bottom, 1929 to like 19, I'm going to say 32 or 33, it was a 90% drawdown in U.S. equities. So the idea that somehow U.S. equities would be superior just shows you how marginal emerging markets have been. And also, they're, he's giving after inflation data, and um, there was a lot of deflation in, in the States during that time. So, but still, still, the, the conclusion to me is, oh, don't, don't try and play the what sector should I invest in game. It could be, we don't, you don't live long enough. Your investing time horizon is not long enough. This VW, this emerging market deal, I mean, you're looking at a long enough period, I just 20, you know, 15 years, that's too, that's too big a chunk of your investing life to play this game. So what's the solution? It's not to avoid emerging markets. They very well could be the very best performer of the next 15 years, and U.S. equities could be dog. I don't know. To invest in everything so you give yourself a shot. You've got to be willing to give yourself that shot. If you play the game and you want to, well, go this sector or that sector and just, I'll read this publication or that publication and I'll watch this television show and that television show and look at the price to earnings ratio in this country and I'll rotate it. I would bet you are going to underperform. The investor who says, forget it, I'm going to invest in everything. I'm going to invest in low-cost manner, across all asset geographies. You can do it with one button now, sticker symbol VT, Vanguard's Total World. Easy, easy, easy to do. And that is going to be your best choice. So as always, keep your costs low, keep your investing simple, keep your time horizon.